We're going to talk to two nurses who were in long-term care during the worst of the pandemic. This is Nurses Voices. Nurses Voices is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and by the Canadian Nurses Association. Welcome to Nurses Voices. I'm Gail Donner. And I'm Mary Wheeler. We'll be talking to two nurses from Montreal. Both women were at the bedside during the critical surge of COVID cases in long-term care. Their experience during that very sad time and their own careers and passions will give all of us a lot to think about. Roya Kazimpour is a nurse from Iran who's been working as an RN in Canada since 2014 in the elder care unit at the Montreal Jewish General Hospital. She also worked in the long-term care unit at that hospital during the three COVID waves. Natalie Stacky Doucet is an RN currently working in a vaccination clinic. She's been a nurse and activist for 10 years now and president of the Quebec Nurses Association. Natalie worked also in long-term care during the first wave of COVID in Montreal. Natalie is also a PhD candidate at McGill University in Montreal. So welcome, Natalie and Roya. Both of you were in long-term care during probably the absolute worst of the pandemic. And Natalie, I'd like to start with you, if I could, and ask you if maybe you can just introduce us to what that experience was like for you. It's still something uh, I'm struggling to put into words. I ended up in one of the worst uh, long-term care uh, places at its worst time. So I was in a long-term care home called Yvon Brunet in April. And uh, we lost, the official number is 73 residents died in about two and a half months. Uh, yeah, it, it was, um, it's really hard to put into words. I mean, it's something I never thought I would see in my life, in my career as a nurse in Canada, uh, in Montreal. It put everything in question and uh, made me extremely angry. <laughs> I'm still angry today at what we had to go through, uh, all the staff, the residents, the families. And uh, I'm really, in some ways, I think holding on to that anger so I don't fall into despair because it was a it was a very very difficult time um, and it was not something we should have gone through given the resources that do exist in 2020 in canada in quebec i think a lot of people died really uh, terrible deaths when they shouldn't have that's been driving me since then basically it's been over a year now um, but it's not something you can just move on from uh, mm. And, you know, we don't know, are, is there going to be more pandemics? Probably in our lifetime. I mean, it, it's reasonable to, to think that epidemiologists uh, speak a lot about, have been warning about pandemics for, for decades mm -hmm. now. Um, and we know uh, residents of long-term care homes are much more vulnerable, uh, not just because of their health, but now we know because the health care system makes them vulnerable, because <laughs> the care homes themselves are in old dilapidated building with terrible ventilation with one bathroom for two rooms with so there's there's a number of structural issues that make their vulnerability so much worse than it actually should be 
so I'm trying to focus on on that and trying to act uh, as much as I can with colleagues on on changing that at least. Yeah, I, it's, I think it's impossible for people who ha don't have the experience to actually feel what you must be feeling. But from the little that I know and work I've done in the past on long-term care, I, I can imagine only the incredible stress that everybody was under. But maybe, Roya, you could weigh in a little bit. Everything started so fast and we like started our cohort in April 2nd, so, and uh, our first case was uh, detected in March. And when they started to swap and do the COVID test for other residents, and it was a very difficult experience because I, I know most of my residents, but we are like family, you know, so it was difficult to see them in this situation. How did you? manage to honestly to survive it uh the only thing at, at the beginning i was thinking about i said yeah i sign for it and i go and they these people they need me need us all of us mm. and mm. so that kept me to go roya you were there on the unit but natalie you weren't working in long-term care yeah well i'd been working in long-term care before both as an orderly and a nurse and in uh, March, I think it was March 13th or 14th that uh, the prime minister here said, we're going on pause. Um, and the next day they called for help. They said, we need help in long-term care homes. Uh, there's not enough people. Half the staff is already sick. I knew I could do it. So I figured, you know, I, I can help. So I should. What made you get up every day and go in? At the beginning, it's definitely adrenaline. You know, it's the fight or flight reflex that just kicks in and you're just you know, running on fumes, basically. Um, there's just so much happening. There's no time for you to think about anything else. You know, you're just running around. Because we, they didn't give us any more staff, right? So we had less staff than usual, and we were, you know, everything takes much longer to do mm -hmm. when you're all dressed up. It's not giving meds out to 10 patients. It takes much longer during a pandemic than during regular time. So it, you're constantly, there is not, a second of your time that you're not on your feet doing something. So I think it's still something I'm trying to deal with and process. Like right now, I, I could not go back. Just thinking about it, I, I you know, my breath sort of catches and it's just, I, I don't, thinking about it, even walking in front of a long-term care home right now mm -hmm. is, is very, very difficult. And I just see in my mind these images all the time. So in terms of coping, I don't know if I've actually really coped with it. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's there's stuff that you go through. It takes time to get through, and you've seen so many people die. You know, in one day we lost ten residents. You know, and and I'd never seen. It was. Um, it's just. It's hard to. to it's hard to, to fathom that something like that could happen on that scale. You know that. It could happen so much. I, I'd seen death before, but never, never, ever, ever like this. I didn't think that the volume and the the quality of how of the deaths was just was devastating. We didn't we didn't come out of it unscathed. What what's it like now for you and your colleagues, Roya? We're trying to go back to normal. 
uh, I don't know how is going to be our new normal. And uh, now our residents, uh, most of them, I can say, uh, fully vaccinated. And we're starting to reopen, visiting, coming. So that's even see these things encourage me to go again, you know. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. As Natalie said, even going back, thinking about the, what happened before, it's like, uh, for me, it's, it's not easy anymore. It's whatever what we saw and experienced, it was so difficult. We lost a lot of our precious uh, residents, but this is the life. So we try to keep going. Most of my colleagues, they got sick at the beginning when we started. Uh, like at the beginning, I was alone because we didn't have much resident five, six. So I had two orderlies and me, we could manage it. And then started very fast to have more and more resident getting sick. And every time our colleague came coming to help me, next day I come in and don't see them. And they say, yeah, they got sick too. Mm. So you know it it was so difficult and uh, understaffed but because they they got sick most of them most of my, my colleague they got sick so Roya I'm interested in as an internationally educated nurse you came from Iran is long-term care where you want it to work I, I, I loved it I at the beginning uh, when I came and because in my country we, we didn't have geriatric and uh, so for me it was it was something new and interesting mm -hmm. yeah so I loved it from the beginning but it took you a long time from the time you came to Canada to get registered is that right when I came after equivalency of my uh, bachelor they accepted and everything was good but i didn't know about the um, uh, order they need us the documents and everything from my country so if i was in iran i'm doing uh, and prepare my uh, document before coming could um, uh, accelerate this process but because i was here already so it took me several years that was my fault, actually. But uh, anyway, having uh, young children also and learning lang uh, new languages mm -hmm. took me also the time. But uh, after that, it was uh, because when I came to Canada and to Quebec, uh, I, I love French language very much. So I started here to learn French first and uh, so I tried uh, to go to French uh, after I got the green light from order to go to college get the integration program uh, unfortunately uh, every time I was trying to uh, go to this program my French wasn't good enough so mm. that, that also was uh, that took me again several years. I didn't give up. I um, so I had to change the course and go 
to English side. So I went, even my French was much better than my English. They accepted me there. Mm. And yeah, I started uh, my integration program there. So a couple of things. First of all, for, for the viewers and listeners who are watching, the order is the regulatory body in Quebec. So just like in every province, that's the body that says yay or nay about getting, uh, getting uh, registered. But I have to say, I applaud your determination. You must be very committed to nursing because we know that internationally educated nurses have often a difficult time. Quebec mm -hmm. is not different from many other provinces. I think in every, I think across the country, people are trying to fix it, but I know it's very difficult. So I'm just impressed that for years, you just forged, forged ahead and, and um, I'm glad you're doing what you're, what you're doing. But I saw you shaking your head, Natalie, and I wonder if from your, um, association experience, your advocacy experience, whether you hear a lot about, uh, I'll say the plight or the difficulties or the opportunities for internationally educated nurses. We need nurses. Um, right. And we should make it easier uh, for them to get their licenses and to get to work. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad, Roya, you're here. Like, we need you and I'm, I'm very happy that you're here. And I'm just sad that, you know, you weren't able, even though your French was better than your English, you weren't able to go into the French system. Mm -hmm. uh, that to me is is mind boggling. Um, and, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So that's there's definitely many aspects of, of that that needs to be worked on. And we need, um, you know, the formal nursing leadership, both in universities, colleges uh, and at our uh, in our regulatory body to be much more proactive on that. Uh, in Quebec, especially, we've talked about a nursing shortage for the past 25 years now. So it'd be nice if we actually do something about it rather than just, you know, lament, well, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. There's a shortage. Uh, there is actually tons of things we can do. And especially in long-term care, that's probably where we've been hit the hardest in terms of the shortage. Uh, I'm not sure you can call it a shortage anymore after 25 years, but it remains, staffing remains an issue. It's not really Absolutely. a shortage uh, in an on and off again kind of thing. It's systemic. But you're saying there are things we should do. I wonder what both of you would, if you had a little magic wand and could make some things happen, what you, or what you would tell the people who have some authority to make things happen. What, what would you want to tell them to do in long-term care? We could do a whole thing just on that, but I think there's there's this really uh, amazing group of people uh, called Canadians for Long-Term Care Standards that has started a campaign across Canada to uh, demand that the federal government work with the provinces to establish standards in long-term care. And that to me makes perfect sense. If you go to an emergency room across Canada, you're going to be triaged the exact same way. Uh, whereas long-term care is kind of a free-for-all. Uh, one home has certain standards, others, there's no ratios, there's no, uh, there's no standard for anybody. And that makes it difficult um, across the board for anybody who's there, for residents, families, staff, um, everybody sort of does their own thing. And, you know, especially with the for-profit uh, homes, you know, it's, 
there can be a conflict of interest there when you don't have any standards and you can just make money off of it. For me, that's 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 not something that's healthy and that we should have in our healthcare system. Um, obviously, for me, probably the most important thing that to come out of the pandemic is to have uh, committees of that include residents and their families, uh, sort of a watchdog um, to prevent some of the stuff that we saw, you know, uh, dying alone and families not, you know, that was the saddest thing I have ever seen in my life is seeing families in in the window when it's cold outside, uh, just yeah. trying with their flashlight. You know, it still gives me goosebumps just thinking about it, you know, with their little flashlight on their phones to see inside. Um, that should never, ever, ever happen. Um, and we don't recognize the work that the families do, the caregivers you know, when they were ripped out of long-term care, we lost all that labor. People who were feeding, who were giving uh, medications, who were helping us uh, do, you know, baths and everything. So that, that I always knew they did a lot of work, but to have it ripped away, the amount of work that they do is really um, incredible and it needs to be recognized. I think it should be paid as well. Um, and obviously, you know, the most obvious part is work on developing strategies for attracting and retaining nurses in long-term care. It seems so basic, but we treat nurses and staff in long-term care as if they are nothing, basically. Their numbers, you can just move around uh, without regards to their expertise and their knowledge and their experience. And that obviously makes it difficult to keep people in long-term care. When you're constantly adding to their workload without ever giving them anything in return, not even, you know, a basic recognition, like a little pat on the back or anything like that. There's nothing. So of course, you're not going to keep people. It's going to be very, very difficult to attract and keep people. And that's a basic management uh, concept of retention. Why do we not apply it in healthcare? We know that we need it there desperately. Um, and again, it's 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 something that, you know, our decision makers at all level of government and in our healthcare system have have decided to just avoid for the past decades. So, but here's Roya, who's there and says she loves it and it's interesting. So Roya, what would you tell a nurse who's saying, well, I don't know long-term care. Maybe I don't want to go there. I'd rather go to critical care where the excitement is or, you know, emerge or something like that. What would you say? What? How would you recruit them? Our uh, LTC is one of the best. And we are there like a family. And when you're going to work, I don't feel at all I'm going to work. I'm going to my home. I love it. And I encourage people to come and work in elder cares. And uh, as I said, it's not work. It's, it's just joy. I love it. Jewish elder care is renowned across the province yes, for the quality very, of, of the care. You know, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the one shining jewel. I'd then be curious, Roya. So mm -hmm. a lot of our work is career work and, you know, individuals who might be interested in organization. So what makes this organization so unique? Like, why is it like it is? Actually, we work together. There is no boss, no... Uh, you know, my, our nursing director always coming to us and discuss with us what we should do. Even whatever we want to do uh, uh, in our units, we go to our orderlies, to our assistant nurses and everybody. Okay, what do you think what we should do to improve it? We, we work together. 
that's the reason. But somebody sets the tone, I guess. So maybe, maybe though that's part of the answer to people is find a place with people like Natalie and Roya who like what they do, love what they do, and, and work there. I mean, we know when you ask nurses what makes a quality work environment, the, one of the first things they say is the people I'm working with, my team, other people who want to do the work. And I think Roy is saying something really important too. You know, when you have a manager, a nurse educator, people that come see you and ask you, what do you think we should do? Instead of saying, this is what we're going to do, and that's it. That definitely sets a tone in terms of uh, how you feel accepted in a team and how, and so I think there's definitely elements of, of how power or leadership is, is, uh, is, is exercised, I guess you would say, uh, that's a francicisme, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but it's important to have, it's important to be heard. And that's also one thing that nurses across the board have always said, if I'm going to stay somewhere, I want to make sure that my voice is heard. Um, and so when you have a manager that says, okay, instead of having six patients today, you're going to have 12 and just leaves, that's, that's not a good work environment. Uh, you know, a manager that says, well, you're forced to stay a whole other shift today. That's not a good, that's, those are the toxic work environments that have become so prevalent uh, because we don't have a lot of, um, a lot of places like Jewish elder care, who really is, you know, the, the rose <laughs> blooming in the pavement of uh, LTC. And there are places that are better. Like it's not across the board that it's terrible. There are some teams, amazing people like Roya, our system in Quebec is very heavy. Um, there's been a lot of reforms to centralize everything. And now we don't have managers, for example, in long-term care homes. Uh, we have like a head nurse, but there's no manager that's responsible for the long-term care home per se. It's, you know, managed by somebody who's sometimes kilometers and kilometers and kilometers away. So that obviously makes it a lot more difficult for the higher ups to know what's going on. And so the lack of channels of communication from the ground up, because we always hear what's <laughs> what they want to tell us, but finding a way to talk to people who actually uh, have the power to make stuff happen is is very, very complicated. And so that's what make it made it very difficult when, you know, one of the first things I asked when I got there was how do I get more vital signs machine? We had one vital sign machine for hot zones and cold zones. And obviously that didn't make any sense. So I had to figure out who to call. And I called so many people. I emailed so many people just to figure out who knows how to get this, you know, and it's ridiculous that as a nurse, I would have to spend so many hours just trying to figure out how to get a basic, basic, basic working tool that I needed, you know, and it was the same for trash cans, tables, you know, PPE, I don't want to even start. Where I worked until the first week of April, nurses weren't even allowed to wear a mask. It was prohibited, even if people brought their own PPE from, from work, from home. Uh, people were threatened, like, no, you're going to get, you know, suspended if you continue to wear a mask and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, other places like the the Chinese hospital here in Montreal, they had been wearing masks since January. And so they avoided a lot of that, the bomb I was talking about that went into these uh, long-term care homes. So that was really a management that was con completely disconnected from what was actually happening on the ground. And that, you know, that had tragic consequences the way you've both described the workplaces you were in. And what I'm hearing from you, Roya, 
is that there's a different style of leadership that everybody pulls together and has a conversation. And possibly where you were, Natalie, what I'm hearing is maybe more of a top down and is, is the success in how people manage through the pandemic back to leadership. This really is a big part of why it's going so well at Jewish elder care. You know, so it's important, first of all, to study those places that are doing so well to figure out what are they doing differently than other places. Um, second of all, there are some, there is data already out there in terms of how it's important for teams to be allowed to be flexible. So mm -hmm. we need, you know, to have the, the, the possibility to be able to do exceptions without being afraid that we're going to be sanctioned, for example. You know, I did that too, but I was not allowed to do that, you know, but I felt I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for 10 years. In my clinical judgment, it is safe for this one person to come and see this one resident. Um, and I think it's okay to do that. And our capacities as nurses extend beyond just what we do between one nurse and one patient. It also extends to the, the conditions in which we practice. Uh, and so as a nurse, for me, I, I strongly believe it's okay for a nurse, any nurse to say, hmm, eight patients might not be safe for me today and have a discussion with the manager about it. But that's not the way the healthcare system is organized right now in Quebec. So there are some shining examples like where Roya is, uh, but we need to study them more. And for that, we need obviously access to data, which in Quebec is very, very, very difficult. Um, and collectively as a profession, I think we also need to reflect on um, how we see management and what it means for a nurse to be a manager. Is she a manager or is she a nurse? Um, is she a bit of both? And what becomes the most important thing? So yeah, so we need, we need to uh, reflect on the importance that we give as a profession to nurses um, bedside practice and, and recognize the leadership that exists there and recognize that nurses who work with patients are also allowed to question and to evaluate their conditions of practice and whether they are safe or not. That's not just a manager's job. Uh, I think that's something that we are able and should do on a much more regular basis. You made a quick comment about uh, a manager is a nurse and, and uh, is she a nurse or he a nurse so they nurse uh, or, a, or a manager. And Roya, you're an assistant head nurse. What do you think about yourself as a manager or as a nurse? What What's first for you? Actually, I, I'm like a connection between the management and staff. I know staff very well. I work with them, with orderlies, with assistant nurses, with nurses. And now I'm in management side. So uh, somehow I bring the issues from our job to management. And when management asking me to do something, I'm coming and discussing with my staff to see how we can do that. So I, I'm, I'm in between. <laughs> Thank you so much for, first of all, for your honesty, your candor, but really for your passion. Wow, Gail. Like, yeah. that went on longer than we generally do because they were both, in their own way, forces to be reckoned with. Uh, Natalie, so passionate uh, about how the system needs to change and Roya, 
who was very um, calm, um, but had so much just in her, her story of she loves what she's doing. This is again, she loves what she's doing and she loves who she's working with and their style of management and the way decisions are made helped them through uh, the pandemic. Well, you know, it, I just kept, maybe I have a sort of stereotypical uh, uh, view of passion, but I would say both of them were passionate. Uh, I mean, I think, and, and she said, of course, Natalie is passionate for change mm-hmm. and Roya is passionate about her work and her connection. And she, by her own story, had a tough time to become registered. I mean, most yeah. people will just give it up. Uh, yeah. You know, it's yeah. not that this is the best paid uh, job in the world. Uh, yeah. You know, so that I'm sure it's that passion you know, it's that kind of, I'm meant to do this, so I'm just going to push ahead. And if they don't want me in French, then they'll have me in English. I was, mm-hmm. I'm just blown away by that kind of passion uh, from both of them. But also, I mean, I don't think we can hear enough mm. how horrible this mm-hmm. was. If this, I mean, we have to make a change in how long-term care is done in Canada. And, uh, you know, like uh, Natalie said, Mm -hmm. there are examples of who's doing it well. And we've seen that in in other interviews with uh, long-term care, but we need uh, a lot of work to get from what that pandemic brought to what needs really to happen for some kind of quality, both work environment and and home environment for residents, yeah. This common theme across Canada, or even just, you know, is around how in long-term care are we going to recruit and retain uh, uh, nurses? You listen to the two of them and I'm saying, well, who's listening to the people on the front line? They do know the answers. They know what needs to happen. These two women, they could be poster child for not just for long-term care, but for what is the essence of the profession? What do people do? They care and they advocate and they yell when they have to. And when they don't have to, they connect. They can, Every interview uh, episode we've done so far, people talk about their team. So till next time, here's to Nurses' Voices. Absolutely. So I would encourage you, if you'd like to give us some feedback on this episode of Nurses' Voices, to go to nursesvoices.ca. Also, please go to and join a podcast uh, through wherever you usually get your uh, podcasts and look for us on YouTube as well. Thanks very much and see you at the next Nurses Voices. Nurses Voices is created by Donner Wheeler. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Nurses Voices is produced by Sector Limited. Mm-hmm.